much for uh, being with us here today. I am here with Patrice Shelton and Sherelle Thompson for our uh, webcast, Racial Equity in Richmond, which is a component of the Richmond Racial Equity Essays Project, where I, Ebony Walden, am asking Richmonders from all walks of life and in different expertise, what are their thoughts on creating a more just and equitable Richmond, as especially as it relates to racial equity? And what are their thoughts on how do we get there, right? These are folks that are doing the work out in the community and we want to hear from them. So thank you both ladies for coming to join us today. And before we get into the hard questions, can you just start by introducing yourselves? Like who you are, you know, what you do in the daytime and how long have you been living here in Richmond, Virginia? Sherelle, do you wanna start? Sure. My name is Sherelle Thompson. I am the resident services coordinator for Gilpin Court. I'm working for Richmond Redevelopment and Housing Authority, and I have been in Richmond basically on and off my entire life. Wonderful. And Patrice? Hi, yes. My name is Patrice Shelton. I'm a certified community health worker senior for Richmond City Health District. Um, and so that is my job. I work um, as a community health worker in the Hillside um, Court area, which is a public um, housing um, community. And I've been in Richmond uh, a little over 15 years. Okay. So quite a while. And I know both of you because of your work, um, formerly Sherelle was a community health worker as well. And that's how I know you both from engaging you all in the community and some of the work that I've been doing. So, so excited to have you here. So our first question, I like to get to know people a little bit. You can ask them their perspective, but when I know who you are and where you're coming from, the perspective makes sense. So can you tell us about a pivotal moment or experience, or maybe a, um, there's a series that led you to your current work? So um, I know you work at RRHA now, uh, Sherelle, but you were a community health worker and Patrice is a community health worker. What led you all to, to do the kind of work that you're doing? Um, what led me to um, working in the community was I was actually, I started out um, working in low income, in the low income community, calculating rent. Okay. Um, we had a lot of people coming to the rent office, um, not able to pay their rent, a lot of other issues going on in the household or, you know, just basically outside of trying to get their rent paid. Um and what we focused on in management was getting the rent paid. We didn't focus on what are the issues that stopped them from paying the rent. Um, and I just basically did not want to keep meeting people outside or talking to them on my personal cell phone, um, giving them resources and trying to assist them with other issues that they had going on. Um, and so I looked for other work um, other than just calculating rent and collecting rent. So you was you were working in this job and you like people need some other help just or not just about the rent because it's about everything else that's trying to prevent them from getting their rent and you kind of decided that you wanted to kind of have a whole a more holistic approach to doing that work. Right because um 
I realized that I had um, a lot of knowledge and, and, and I could assist more than just saying, we need your rent money, we need your rent money. Um, and so, like I said, I just didn't want to keep, you know, meeting people outside of work, trying to assist them with their other issues or giving them resources because you really don't have time for that um, when you're trying to collect and calculate rent. So you wanted to have a broader approach to your work. You're like, this is the, the outside work is the work that you wanted to be doing, not just collecting rent. I totally feel that. Right. Absolutely. What about you, Patrice? What led you to the work that you are doing? Um, when I moved to public housing um, in 2010, the community was so divided and so isolated um, and no one was, you know, being neighborly to be in such a apartments where they shared porches. And so um, there was a nonprofit organization there. So one of the senior citizens, one of the senior citizens um, that, sorry, one of the senior citizens that I um, had met in, in the community. So uh, one of the seniors that I had came in contact with had invited me to this nonprofit um, meeting that was trying to build leaders in the community. So um, I joined with them and then started listening to some of the concerns because there were several different um, murders, um, well, actually three to be exact, um, all within a month's time. And so was trying to talk about how to bring the community safer around the playgrounds and different things like that. And so I formed um, several different um, groups, um, support groups like a family, um, family team, um, cooking, senior citizens, but it was all led by community members. Um, and so with doing that with that nonprofit, that made me branch off to my um, my own nonprofit. And as I was doing the work, then um, that's when the health department asked if they was to open a uh, resource center in Hillside, would I be the at that time, it was a um, community advocate. Um, and so it's, that's how I ended up with the work. I love that. So I love that your stories of, and I've seen this so many, I've, I've had the opportunity to travel the world, but I've seen this so many times of women that are actually doing work in the community. And then they're like, we need to do something different. So they're the engines of that doing something different. So it sounds like the, you all have that, that, um, Kind of just motivational spirit to say it's like if the if you see something say something if you see something that needs to be changed right then go go out and, and do it i love that and that's why i have y'all on so i think you all have a very unique perspective because you're out in the community doing some grassroots you're with the people right you're not up in some ivory tower at the organization you're helping people build community work through the issues that they're facing so i think you'll have a unique vantage point from your perspective what do you feel like the biggest inequities or injustices that you see in Richmond, but also in your work in general? What are the barriers that folks are facing? What are the, if you can name one of the two of the biggest things that you see, particularly around inequities or injustice uh, around race in the community and in your work? Um, I would say in Richmond would be housing and the justice system. Where I work, I would say will be housing and healthcare. Now talk a little bit about that. What about housing and what about the justice system? in healthcare? So as far as healthcare, um, it's not readily available to this community, to the low-income communities. Um, a lot of doctors are not on the bus line. Hmm. Um, 
appointments are months out. Um, it's just not available. Mm -hmm. Not accessible um, to people. Right. As far as housing, um, we don't have adequate affordable housing in Richmond, period. Um, a lot of the other communities don't want people from our community to move into their community, but yet they move into our community. Mm. Um, and so um, that's why I pick housing for both. Absolutely. And you said a third one, housing, health care, and something else you said. Oh, and the justice system. Okay, talk a little bit more about that. Um, a lot of low-income people and in our residents are not able to afford lawyers. So usually their sentence is much lengthier than someone who committed the same crime. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Right. So this, the lack of resources and the barriers that communities say are, are really impacting their lives and livelihood and freedom. Right. Absolutely. Just how the police treat us, people of color. Yeah, absolutely. That's pervasive. And we, it's been, we've known it, but it's been more uncovered more and more, um, particularly in the last couple of years. Absolutely. Right. So uh, for you, Patrice, do you, what are the inequities you see? And if, if they're similar to Sherelle's, can I expound upon what's your, your um, perspective on things? Definitely. Um, mine, it still falls around the main um, topics of um, what she said, but like different examples. So like for the, uh, you know, the justice system, we have so many, um, of, you know, black and brown people that have mental illnesses, but because of the healthcare system is so bad that they are misdiagnosed or not diagnosed or haven't been seen, don't know how to, um, you know, reach out to get the support that they need to be diagnosed so that they can get help and get mm -hmm. medication or hospitalized or different things like that. They're not being able to get that because they don't, um, have the actual health care for it, or they don't know how to navigate around the system to get the support. And, and then um, also in our, you know, our housing with the low income, um, it's just, they look at the address and not the person, um, or they look at the color and not the person. Just because you live in public housing, doesn't mean you're a criminal um, because in fact, in fact, you, you get a background check now for when you move into housing, probably more thorough than you do in other apartment complexes. Yeah, absolutely. So of the re of how the justice system just treats public housing residents as, you know, criminals straight off the bat. And, and, and it's, it does no good for, you know, the person that they're treated like that and then their family or the community because that's not everything that that person or, you know, those community members are about. And so that's how I think about that. Absolutely. Uh, Sherelle, I see you shaking your head. Do you have anything else you wanted to add? Yeah, I definitely agree with Patrice. Um, and speaking from my own experience, I've lived in public housing. And I remember I never wanted to say where I live mm. uh, when I was asked. Um, and it's for those reasons, because people treat you differently. Mm. Wow. Yeah, that's profound. You know, the, the interplay, and you said both of them, you know, the color of your skin and where you live, those are the two things that, we're, that impact so much, unfortunately, about our lives. Like you can, your, your experience with 
the, the criminal justice system, so much of that. And it's just because of we have the systemic racism that has, has impacted all of those things in our lives and our community. So y'all kind of talked about the injustices you see if, in one, two sentences. If, if, if Richmond were an equitable place, particularly as it relates to Richmond, what would be your vision for racial equity in Richmond? What would be changed or what would, be, what would have occurred in your mind? Um, my vision would be for um, all institutions to give equal opportunities to people of all races. Um, everyone should be treated equally. Um, and I guess what would change is that everyone would just enjoy a full, healthy life and, you know, and basically have the legal, moral, and political equal opportunity. Oh, I love that legal, uh, moral, and political. Come on, give me, give me those threes. <laughs> like a Baptist preacher. <laughs> what are your thoughts, Patrice? I love that. Thank you, Sherelle. Yeah, that, that that's definitely awesome. Um, I think that um, just you know, magnifying what Sherelle said of the health, like everyone across the board should be able to get the same amount of health care. Um, you know, housing, everyone should be able to get safe, livable housing. Of course, there will be difference in according to your jobs and, and what you can afford if you're going to have a mansion or, but I think everyone should be able to have basic housing um, and someone they can call a home. I think the education, it, it shouldn't matter if you are putting a child in a private school or, you know, in a county school or a city school, they should still get the same amount of education and the same amount of support if it's tutoring. Because I don't understand why if you go to a county school, you get tutoring for free. But if you go to the city where, you know, it's more lower income um, students, then you're looking to pay for tutoring. Unless, you know, your mom or someone in the family knows how to navigate around the system and find some of the nonprofits that's that is providing um, tutoring. Yeah, absolutely. And, and y'all have hit a point, like, like this intersection of things like that, the housing, the education, the criminal justice, like these issues aren't one, they, they impact one another, right? Of like where you live impacts your, your experience of the police, the schools you go to, the housing that is available to you, or, or even that condition of housing. Could you also, because I know that y'all are entrenched, both of y'all have a relationship with uh, Richmond Redevelopment and Housing uh, Authority, as well as being community health workers. Uh, from, from that vantage point, you know, what are some of these strategies that we can employ to make the vision a reality from a housing standpoint, you know, redevelopment of public housing is a huge, you know, topic in our community. What, what can you all offer as strategies um, in order to create that, that vision from, from the places you stand as community health workers, but also um, from your perspective and work with the housing authority? Definitely um, getting our residents um, to, to have their voice heard. So get, getting engaged um, and making known that what they say or what they feel matters and can change the outcome of the situation. Um, 
and, and so so many of those as, as community health workers we advocate so you know we're trying to get that across but when they have been lied to or mistreated for so long and so many decades of it and so many generations of families then it's hard to tell them that your voice is going to change something mm -hmm. so you know we have to work in smaller groups and try to get smaller things to show that their voice matters and then they can you know move on to the bigger other policies and um the redevelopment and you know jobs and different things like that trying to get you know them to get on different boards into different organizations so that they can have that policy change and that they're being heard um i know we we're starting this playground and we started from just one of the kids in the neighborhood saying that they want a better basketball court. And so each step has been the, the children of the community have been making those steps. So we've been having meetings. And so what, what kind of equipment they want, um, you know, they're going to do paint artwork on the basketball court. So what do you want that artwork to look like? Um, what actual colors you want to put on there? So given, you know, starting with something small that they can see that their voice mattered and, and see the end results, then can, hopefully we can move to bigger things of making sure that they, you know, bring their parents in. Well, mom, I'm a kid and my voice did this. Imagine as an adult what your voice can do. So hopefully um, starting with the youth to, to build to the adults to make sure they know their, their work. Yeah, I love that to, to provide opportunities for agency right and to not give people power because they already have it but to own their power and operate in their power to influence these systems right and and also to build trust from kind of agency perspective and this is what i've saw seen over the history i have i actually don't have an incentive to believe that you're going to do what you say you're going to do so you gotta you know as institutions they really have to start you know showing up and, and doing that work as well and as well as folks, you know, owning their agency and participating. I love that. Sherelle, you've unmuted yourself. I you want to say something. What's your perspective? What can we, what are some strategies that can actually get us to the vision that you uh, so eloquently set out? Well, I kind of um, want to piggyback off what Patrice said. Um, we definitely want to make sure that those most in, impacted by racial um, inequity <clears throat> are involved in the process, um, the creation and implementation of any policies and practices that impact their lives. So they have to be, like Patrice said, on the boards, they have to be around the table. Um, they have to be able to make decisions. Um, also, we wanna make sure that race doesn't determine anybody's socioeconomic outcome. Everyone has to have whatever they need to thrive, no matter where they live. Yeah, absolutely, I love that. These are some, uh, you know, as I do these conversations, I love, the synergy, right? Because I'm hearing people from different perspectives saying some of the same things, but the more times you hear it, the more you're like, that is so true. And the centrality of having people that are impacted by the decisions, not only around the table, but leading the table and owning their power and agency, which, you know, we have to create space for, right? And, and reimagine how we've made decisions and engage people as part of our communities. I love that. Any other things that you know, those are my questions, but want to create space for more conversation. Any other things that you feel like we can do or things that you, you see not being done in the community, um, particularly from your vantage point, that it should be done if we're going to achieve a, a racial equity enrichment? 
they, I, I just feel like um, trust has to be built um, from those um, agencies or um, within the community. Um, because again, as Patrice stated, you know, they have been lied to so much about what is going to happen, what's going to occur, what they will receive if they do this, and it hasn't been done. So I think trust is, is one of the biggest things that they need to start with. And, and what do you feel like is a, a good way to begin building trust with communities? Being out in the community mm-hmm. and being honest and, and upfront with what, with what is going to happen or what are you trying to do um, with the community or with, you know, the residents. Um, and definitely just, yeah, just really being out in the community. Yeah, presence, honesty. I always tell folks, you know, because I do a bit of community engagement work myself. I was like, these are folks that have to make a dollar out of 15 cents. They understand constraints. <laughs> they understand constraints. So you can communicate constraints. They understand that. They may push back and they probably should about what you feel like that. But people understand constraints and people appreciate honesty. And if you can't be honest about what your intentions are, given our sordid past and history, then people are not going to build trust. Anything you have to else? Say to them in their language so that they understand. Mm. Um, you know, you don't want to give them some type of proposal or situation and it's in a bunch of languages they don't understand just so they can agree. You mm. know, you put one or two words to make it sound good, but that's really not what the purpose is. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and then some of my work and you all are doing even deeper community engagement. I mean, it takes a while for, you know, there's a learning curve, right? So if you want folks to make a decision about something, you could have started that a year ago so, so that they're aware of even the language, the concepts that you are using about the decision. Because if you come with a decision, you have all these foreign language and concepts. How can I comment on that where I don't actually even know what you're talking about? And so sometimes putting in the work of educating people even bef- way before every, anybody has to make a decision so they know uh, of what you're talking about. Other thoughts, any closing thoughts that you have or um, encouragement or strategies you have, Patrice, as we close this conversation? No, I don't have any. Just basically anyone that's doing the work is just really listen to the communities um, because they're going to know what it's going to take to get them involved in and get them to the next level. Absolutely, right? And I guess that's part of the work that y'all did as community health workers is the health department saying, you all are experts on the communities that you lived on, you have relationships there. And that sounds like it's been the cornerstone of your work, engaging in, listening, and being a part of the communities you're trying to change and doing that work, the organizations that you are worked at. So thank you, ladies, for being a part of this conversation. I appreciate it. I had you on here because I'm familiar with your work and have crossed paths before. And I thought that you all would have a a very unique perspective. Lots of folks are, you know, can talk about racial equity from up here at some organizational level, but you can talk about what you're seeing in the communities and doing and from your own personal experience. So I thank y'all for coming on and being on the show. Uh, This is uh, a the podcast where we're talking about racial equity in Richmond. And so thank you to the viewers. And until next time, y'all take care. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Bye.